The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. This uh, Advent series is a really helpful one, whether you have found it tremendously so yet or not, but I would just like to really hammer some things home. I really do believe that as we anticipate the celebrating of Jesus' birth, as the first advent, or as we are living in the anticipation of his second coming, the second advent, uh, it's, a, it's a time that we are waiting, and it's a time that is exhilarating, challenging, frustrating, and exasperating, and a whole bunch of other things that you could add to it, because this is not an easy life, and there are great and tremendous challenges that come with it. This has been a difficult message for me to try to craft this week, um, not because the verses are hard to understand, I mean sometimes that's, that's part of the challenge, and not because the, the topic is unimportant. No, it's totally the opposite as far as I'm concerned. I really believe grasping, not what I'm saying, but what the word will be saying to us is an intrinsic truth that is so important that it can change your life. Now, every time we open the Bible, we should be allowing his word to change our lives. But I think this is a really, really important one, and there's a reason why I think it's important. We're dealing with an important issue that used to be really popular in evangelicalism. But that was a long time ago. And we have lost a sense of the theology of worship. We've lost the sense of work was created by God and is good. So therefore, what we are doing, no matter what that is, is good and meaningful. No matter how uninspiring it may seem to us at at that particular time. You know, we're dealing with something that I would imagine that we, uh, we, we spend at least a third of our lives involved in work, don't we? I mean, at least. I mean, I figured that out eight hours a day. That's only a third of the day. I'm sure that most of you all work more than 40 hours in a week. And that's coming out to a third of your life is spent doing something that you may or may not like. Whether you're being a student, a stay-at-home mom or dad, a barista, very important person in my life, weight persons, an office worker, a plumber, a teacher. That's just a few of the, the, of the vocations, the callings that you reflect and that are incredibly important in God's design. So one of the things that I found interesting is that in this particular uh, job situation, I, you, I, there was a point in time in my life when my job was so bad in my thinking, that it drove me into some serious depression. I mean, serious stuff. Lock myself in a dark room, watch old Perry Mason episodes. That's bad. That's serious bad. I was set to, uh, to head out for, some, uh, for medication, but back in those days, it wasn't that popular. Oh, but by the way, I want you to say that has nothing to do with Shades Valley or Jonathan. Jonathan is a great boss. He has not driven me. Do anything like that. I want you to, to know that right up front. 
But our work can be challenging, frustrating, and non-fulfilling. Are we going to ask the question, is something that we spend so much time on, is that what we're supposed to be doing? Why isn't it just satisfying? Well, thankfully, over the last 10 years, more and more books are being, we're readdressing what used to be the old Reformed or Puritan uh, theology of work and how it develops and how it's a part of God's creation. And we're, we're recapturing that in, in other different traditions. And it was interesting. I found that uh, we had a, a free church, we're part of a, the Evangelical Free Church of America. We had a district meeting. And the whole meeting was geared for this very topic. Matter of fact, they, they gave out three different books. And obviously, I'm not going to quote from them. I just want to let you see, see if you, you grasp a theme here. Visions of vocation. Common grace for the common good. Okay, that was the most difficult to understand. That was the most academic of it. I haven't quite finished that one yet. Tim Keller's book. Every good endeavor, but uh, the underlying, but the, but the rest of the, of the uh, title is Connecting Your Work to God's Work. Not bad, huh? This last one I would, I'm going to be taking a quote out of is by Tom Nelson. It says, work matters. Connecting Sunday worship to Monday work. Does that, do you see, you getting a the theme? of how this is, uh, we're, we're recapturing, and it's not new, it's biblical. And we're trying to recapture some things that we, that we have lost. Now, I wanted to say there's something, a couple of things I love about from last week's message with Brad. But the one, that, one of them that just really stuck out in here, work is and isn't. Do you remember what he said? A four-letter word. Work is and isn't a four-letter word. Number one, it isn't in that it, it was created by God and it was deemed good. But then there came the fall. And in the fall, it cor corrupted and poisoned what God created as good. Made it difficult, hard, thorns and all those kinds of things. But God, now see, this is the thing that we forget. But God, as he has called us to be new creations in him... As Christ followers, what has he redeemed? He has redeemed the very calling of work. He has taken it and he has brought it back to where it needs to be. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have struggles with it and all that type of thing. But for us to grasp the reality that God has redeemed our work. And that we as new creations in Christ are fulfilling his calling, something he called good. In uh, one of those books called Work Matters, uh, I took out one passage uh, that I wanted to share with you. Uh, he is recounting the journey of a CEO of a major company. And he's giving it as a, a topic on that. And after living a certain way, a normal way, a cultural way, a way that we, that we normally think, he came to face with this morning's reality. And it, acts, it radically changed him. So I want to share what he comes up with. The game changer for him 
was when he began seeing his work as having intrinsic value and not merely instrumental value. Okay, now that sounds a little... Can somebody help me with that? What is it to have intrinsic value? In and of itself. Intrinsic value. Instrumental value, therefore, is what? What you use it for. Okay? Realizing that your work is of intrinsic value is an incredibly important theological concept. He recognized his work as valuable in itself, God-honoring and good. Work was not just valuable because of its economic benefits or as a platform for Christian ministry. Of course, work's economic benefits and the opportunity it provides for Christian ministry can be really good things, but they are not work's main goal. Can I say that again? That is not work's main goal. Let me read, and we're going to kick off on this one. Work's main goal, and I would never think of a businessman writing this, Work's main goal is worship through a lifestyle of God-honoring vocational faithfulness. You're going to hear that a couple of times because I think it's worthwhile. Matter of fact, a lot of the message is kind of bouncing off of that. Work's main goal is worship through a lifetime, our lifestyle, but it could be a lifetime too, of God-honoring vocational faithfulness. Now, as we get into this, I do want to repeat something also that Brad talked about last week from Martin Luther. Um, If you remember, Luther called the teaching of his day, which is very popular and has become popular in evangelicalism too. Can Can I say that that's happened? There's a dichotomy between what we would call spiritual work and daily work. The normal and the divine If you ever think it's divine, you ought to come on into ministry and do that full time. It it, it is all together. Matter of fact, I love the words that Luther used. He said that teaching is of deceit and hypocrisy. I thought, well, that's, you know, Luther had a tendency to be pretty straightforward. And I really like that. I also smile every time I remember my late father-in-law's counsel and advice to me when I was so brash as to take his daughter and granddaughter away from her land of milk and honey, Florida, to a faraway and ungodly place, Chicago. (laughs) I mean, that was just not Now, here's what his advice was to me, okay? Now, now we can laugh, but I really appreciated part of it and not the other part. We're sitting there, and he's trying his best to convince me that this is not what God has in store for me. Now, this is coming from, you know, a PCA, Presbyterian Church of America, an elder, okay? It's not like just, I mean, he's really grown in the Lord and all those things. And he basically said, Ed, pastors are a dime a dozen. A Christian lawyer is unique. And that's all the lawyer jokes I'm going to do, Matt, okay? Now, he didn't really mean to undermine the value of pastors at all. He is very respectful. But he did get this theology. 
the theology that says your role and calling in life is just as important where you are as any other calling to a mission field, to so-called ministry. That's the wrong thing. We're all in ministry. And so that was, I found that, uh, it, matter of fact, it gets, gets me really frustrated because when I talk to somebody, and it may come out that I changed vocations, you know what they automatically think? They think that I finally had a Damascus Road, you know, come to Jesus meeting with God, and he took me away from darkness and led me into the light. And I, got, I get so frustrated because nothing could be farther from the truth. It was a calling, but it was, it was slow and gradual and all these types of things. But what I found, and I want to make sure that I read exactly because I really tried to think, put this down. God changed my address, but not my calling. Does that make sense? There are things that I still miss being in the office. I miss rubbing shoulders with people on a daily basis. Now, what does rubbing sometimes cause? Friction. Hey, some of the best conversations come out of that friction. I loved the opportunity to, to talk about and, and even debate and disagree about lifestyle issues. I, that, that was good because you're, you're bringing light into a conversation. And I especially loved being there when their life fell apart. Maybe reality or maybe it was just a really bad time. But there you were. You're able at that point in time to bring and offer the love of Christ in a normal, natural environment. Does, does that make sense? That's the calling. Wherever you are, whoever you're working with, whatever your job is, unless, what was it Jonathan, or Brad or Jonathan said, unless you're working for the mob, okay? Or dealing drugs, okay? So what is, then the term, let me, Let's say this, use that again. Work's main goal was worship through a lifestyle of God-honoring vocational faithfulness. All right, what is God-honoring vocational faithfulness, if that is true worship? Well, that's where I really wanted, we're going to have to answer three questions. And it starts out with, who are we really working for? Both of them have brought up that issue. As we, as you can't talk about that. It's who are you working for when you are in your mission field at that point in time. Uh, this was the most radical effect of the fall on work. All of a sudden, it was no longer outside of themselves for God, but it stayed for themselves and became selfish. Now they had legitimate needs, but it changed. That's what the fall does, and our work loses. And if we must recapture that, as new creations in Christ. We need to recapture that fact. And it, it reflects the, the commandment. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's the key to all of this. All right, now I ain't loving that. Paul makes it a very, very clear passage, and that was the uh, Romans 12.1. If you turn there for a second, if you've got that with you. 
This is one of those verses, as soon as I knew that Jonathan was asking me to speak on work as worship, this verse immediately popped into my head. Now, I'm going to read it from the, the English Standard Version, Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, just stop there for a second. You can't ever talk about this verse without that part. He's not talking about some kind of performance-based Christianity. He bases all of what he's going to say on what? The mercies of God, God's grace. And if we've experienced that, then the next step becomes allegedly normal. By the mercies of God, I beseech you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Isn't that amazing? The fact of presenting our bodies to God as a living sacrifice in and of itself is an act of spiritual worship. That doesn't mean the fact that you come to church and say, okay, I'm going to sing. Yeah, that is a wonderful time of presenting yourself. But going to work on Monday is just as much a time of presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. I really like the NIV translation there. It calls this, it says that that act of giving our bodies as living sacrifices is true and proper worship. True and proper worship. Apparently, this is real worship. So who are we working for? We're working for the Lord. If he is the one that is moving and changing by his mercies, then we're presenting ourselves, even in our vocations, especially in our vocations, to him. All right, now, Colossians 3.23, if you would want to turn there. Colossians 3.23 is another statement that Paul makes that I, I, it's like you can't argue with it. Does that, does that make sense? Um, I, well, maybe you guys are much more spiritual than I am. You never argue with God, but, but you know, I, I try to find ways, the uh, loopholes. Whatever you do, work how? Somebody say, say it out loud. Work what? Heartily. Man, that's an, that's an impressive word. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Now, if we were to go to work, our vocation, our calling, uh, our restaurant, our coffee shop, our Publix, our heating and air conditioning company. If we're walking into any of those situations or any other, and we're doing it heartily to the Lord, and we're realizing that we are doing this as a service to the Lord, not for the paycheck, but for the Lord, that causes an attitudinal change, doesn't it? I'm not saying we get there all the time. But if we really truly grasp that truth, it changes our attitude, which will therefore then change our hearts and our actions. Well, let me ask another question then. In order for it to be uh, this type of uh, 
worship through a lifestyle of God-honoring vocational faithfulness. The next question is, and I had to put it into, put two together, because you know you're only allowed to have three points, and I didn't want to have to go to four points. So I wanted to have my three points. So this one is a combination point. That work? All right, we had, uh, who are we working for is the first question. Second question is, why are we working, and what are we working to accomplish? Why are we working, and what are we working to accomplish? Does that make sense? That goes to our motive, doesn't it? Man, I could stop and think of all kinds of wrong motives I've gone to work. Do you ever think about those things? You know, you have to struggle with them. I'm going to work because I want to do a better job because I'm going to get a promotion. That's going to make me look better. Any of you ever put your value in your, into your vocation? Man, I've done it. Still do sometimes. Sometimes I look at it and I'm going, what makes us so competitive? Try to get ahead. What makes us so angry if somebody else gets credit for something we've done? If we're working for the Lord, who's going to know who gets the credit? God does. Whether or not your current boss or overseer even sees that, God's going to take care of it. See, there's a lot of trust in him that comes being able to try to do something like this. Let me just share two biblical truths that help in this area. One, it is because God recreated us for relationship with him and to be a part of his plan. He recreated us. Now, I take that out of Corinthians. We are new creations in Christ. All right? Turn with me, if you will, Ephesians 2, 10 and 11. <laughs> all, all of us are in significant roles. Uh, you may not, this may be an old-fashioned term, do you know what the term is, uh, bit parts? Does anybody, anybody know? See, that was, that was one of those throw-ins at a play or a musical or something like that. Oh, we'll just give you a little bit part. You just come in and open the door for the, for the star, and that's your bit part. There aren't any bit parts in God's plan. But here's let me, why I, I, I think I can prove this. You allow me to prove this point? Ephesians 2, 10 and 11. For we are his workmanship which is kind of interesting, given what we're studying. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, that word workmanship, some of you have heard me talk about that one before. I love that word. It's a word, it's more poema. I'm not even sure I'm saying it right. But it's the word that we take a poem from. I like the, uh, the New Living Translation. It says, you are God's masterpiece, a very unique piece of art. See, I used to think when I read the word workmanship, I thought, okay, that makes me a hammer. God put me together to be a tool, okay? You're just, just that's what he's done. No. God has created every one of us in a special, unique, wonderful, challenging way. You are each a piece of work. <laughs> that came out wrong. Yeah, that's something else my father-in-law used to tell me. You're each a piece of artwork. How's that? Is that better? You're a creativity. 
everything that is different, it's all who God is. And every one of us is different for a reason. God made us that way. And out of who he made us to be, he says right here in his word, I made you that way because I've got something for you to do. Something that I set up way before the foundations of the world. Does that mean then that any of us have bit parts or insignificant roles in life, no matter what we're doing? If God created us in a certain way and has placed us in a certain place, we're there for him. And we go right back to the who. Who are we working for? One other thing I wanted to share is that this may sound, and I don't want it to sound uh, scary, but it is a little bit scary. Uh, the second thing I'm going to say here is that because our work, our very lives, are an eternal investment. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, if you want to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work, okay? There's a reason that word is there. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, and that day, capital D in your Bible, that means the return of Christ kind of day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now, given those things that he just listed, which of those things are going to last through a fire? Okay. Hay burns. Okay, does that give you a hint? Okay, okay. Straw burns. Wood burns. But instead, purified becomes the gold and the silver and precious stones. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean, therefore, that the great giant time when, when I was able to share Christ with somebody and they responded, yeah, that's wonderful and incredible and a great blessing, but that's God's work. Our work is underneath that, loving, caring, serving that opens up the doors for all of God's work. Um, it's a little encouraging and scary because if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So there is some sense of in after the, at the second coming of Christ, what we have done with our lives in our work, some of it's going to burn, some of it will last question is to ask ourselves, what are some of the things that are going to burn? I know some of the things that are going to burn that, uh, that I've done. Man, I, have, have any of you ever kind of snuck around the corner and done something so that your, your fellow employee gets left a little bit behind? Nah, I know you wouldn't do that. I said, that's me. That's going to burn. But when you sit there and you're listening to a coworker, and you hold a confidence, that will last forever. That is an investment. You see, those are the investments. It's interesting. I wonder how many smiles. I mean, I know most of you, and you, you, many of you bring smiles to my face. 
I would like to be served by you at a restaurant or at some other place. How often is bringing a hug, a smile, a kind word into someone's life? That may be the only smile, hug, or kind word they get that week. And when you do that, it warms their heart. You have just now shared the love of Christ in a way that didn't cost you anything. You were just being nice. That's going to last. There's some things I think we've worked so hard for, poof, it's gone. But some of the things where we were just being who God created us to be are going to last forever. Like I say, that's both encouraging and just a smidgy scary to me. So I just thought I'd share that with you. All right, so if I've gotten the who and the why and the what, what has to come last? How? Thank you very much. Somebody's a newspaper reporter or something like that. Those are the questions we always ask. In order for it to be truly a work that is worshipful in lifestyle because it is God-honoring, how we do it is incredibly important. If our work is worship, then obedience to God is a part of that. When we're doing what God wants us to do, that is really worship. I, uh, I found that uh, presenting our bodies as living sacrifices is an incredible, diff incredibly difficult act of worship, isn't it? But it is worship. As much as being here on a Sunday morning and enjoying ourselves and lifting our hands and feeling the Spirit of God move, so it is when you do the right thing. When somebody speaks badly about you. So it is when you go to work and you feel awful. Not that you're contagious. You're just having a bad day. See, and that's the thing that we need to realize is that how we do it. And so often believers have skimped here. I hate to admit it. I, I've mentioned this before. I didn't have it in my notes. I'm going to say it again. I still remember when I was practicing law in Lakeland, Florida, I had a client that I had been talking to. And he looked at me and he says, I know you're a Christian. And when they say it with that tone of voice, you know the other shoe's going to drop somewhere along the line. Do you know what I do if somebody comes into my shop and tells me they're a Christian? And I'm going, I'm setting myself up for this one. No, what? I make them pay up front. What does that say to us? What does that say to us? How we do and live work is incredibly important. I just want to list a couple of things. I mean, there are so, so many. You'd be proud of me. I had over three and a half pages of Bible verses. And I threw most of them out or, so that we wouldn't be here till the Christmas service tonight. So, but there are a couple of them I just, I'm just taking out of, uh, not out of context, but they're all written to situations like bond servants, which are employees, and they, as you could uh, put that in our cultural context, or to bosses, or whatever it might be. Let me read this first one. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. What does that say? Have we ever done it because somebody was watching? We work harder because somebody is seeing us? 
we're trying, we're, we're trying to be a people pleaser, when maybe we need to speak truth to someone with a kind way, but we don't, and they can go on and get into problems. Not being a people pleaser, not doing a way of eye service, but with sincerity of heart. Here's another one. And again, they are to be, Christian workers are to be well-pleasing. Now, here's a good one. Are you ready for this one? Okay. I dare say almost all of you have violated this one. Okay. All right. Right here. Not argumentative. Whoa. I've never been argumentative at work. Especially at staff meeting here, you know, never been argumentative. But that's part of what, what harms our work as worship. Uh, just a couple other, but uh, not, <laughs> this is an old-fashioned word, not pilfering. What is not pil- what's pilfering mean? Stealing. But you know, when I say pilfering, it doesn't sound so bad. I mean... Yeah, that's mean. I've added a couple little extra things to my uh, expense report. Just, just the little ones. Nah, I just brought some things home that really shouldn't have. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of different ways we can pilfer, if we're honest enough to call it stealing. It makes us, our attitude changes for how we're going to do that and how we're going to face it. Um, here's another one. I like this one. It says, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Any of you ever have any unjust bosses? Doesn't it make it hard? See, one of the things that we realize is a willingness to accept authority is what God's call is in our lives. And that may be the most difficult to fulfill and follow through with. Willingness to accept authority, diligence, going the extra mile, keeping confidences. All of these are things of how we can live and work and show our work as worship. And all of those doing the opposite is going to affect and make us feel worse. We're going to lose that sense of work being worship. All right. Oh, I did want to say one thing to those of you that are fortunate enough to be in leadership. Paul has this to say as part of one of his, and it has so much in it, if you just, we think of the implications. It says, masters or employers, treat your bondservant justly and fairly. You hear what I'm saying? Justly and fairly that you also have a master in heaven. Who are you working for? The master in heaven. How does it make me treat my employees? justly and fairly. It's not, you, you can't just look at an employee and say, ah, life's not fair. <laughs> you just got shafted. Life's not fair. Justly and fairly. I have to admit, I really like one bank ad. The ad was, uh, have you seen it? It's uh, the cashback ad where this employer, and he's there and he's got some employees behind him, is talking about this small business card, and I don't even remember the name of it, which shows you it wasn't that effective an ad. I don't remember the name of it, but on it says, oh, yes, you're going to get 2% or 4% back on all your purchases. And he said, and I got back $36,000 this year, and I used it. Have you seen that one? 
I used it to provide health insurance to my employees. Those of you that are in places of being entrepreneurs, I can even say the word, let alone be one, that are in places of starting businesses and doing business and all of these situations, you are God's hand in all of your employees' lives. Anyway, now we're never going to be able to make ourselves perfect living sacrifices. The best I can do that for about 30 seconds but that's only if nobody else walks in the room. And we're not always going to be able to walk in the spirit. I'm going to mention that for just a minute. But we need to fully embrace this truth. Our work is God's creation. It is good. And how we live our lives as worship, and having this lifestyle change, this vocational faithfulness, is just so incredibly important. And we, we've forgotten that truth. The only way that this is going to actually work is if we embrace that truth to start out with. Only God's truth changes us. And every morning, if we get up and look at it and say, I'm God's servant today. I am putting myself on that altar, and though I know I will climb down a half a dozen times, I'm going to keep trying to get back up there. But we have to start with that. Because the rest part of that verse in Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our attitudes, our actions, our confirmation of this world, all of its negativity, can only be changed by the renewing of our minds. Where does that renewing start? With his word. Getting into it, hearing what it is. Trust me, you want to be challenged as an employee? Read Proverbs. That is one of the most challenging books. One is kind of fun because we're going to be going through some of that this uh, coming up this late this spring to really understand what God has placed and put in, into, our, into wanting us to do that. But the reality of this, even, even submitting ourselves, even putting ourselves on the, on the altar, has to do with what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. As a Christ follower, as a redeemed new creation, the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We can't just make ourselves do right things. That's not the way it works. It is the Spirit of God at work. When he says in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the, the desires of the flesh. I still remember when one of, our, one of our pastors said, read that again. What comes first? Not not gratifying the desires of our spirit, of the flesh, or walking in the spirit. To deny the fleshly things isn't going to be what comes first. It's walking in the spirit that comes first. And if you take the Holy Spirit with you to your vocation, if you take the Holy Spirit with you when you go to that chick, sick child's bed, and you know that you're going to be doing laundry. 
That's hard to take the Holy Spirit then. But that's the key to all of this. I mean, I haven't thought of this. What would be the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your workplace? Help me out with some of those. What is the fruit? What does the Holy Spirit actually produce in us that is seen out of us? What are it? Somebody help me out. Love. Joy. Yeah, peace. That's a good one. The next one I don't want to ask. Can we skip the next one? Patience. Kindness. Gentleness and goodness and self-control. Man, that would be an incredibly influential person in the kingdom of God. No matter where you are or what you're doing, isn't it? That's what it's all about. I, um, work's main goal is worship through a lifestyle of God-honoring vocational faithfulness. It's interesting as we come to the table... God's work makes it all possible here. It's the work of Christ going to the cross that not only redeemed our vocations, redeemed our very souls, our very lives. Without that work, we wouldn't be here. And so when we come to the table, we're coming and we're anticipating, celebrating the first coming. The Advent. But scripture also tells us always know that you are celebrating, thinking, proclaiming what's coming next. And that is the return of Christ. And all this is going to be, and I'm going to, you know what, when I get to the new earth, I'm going to be the best employee you ever saw. I'm never going to mess it up. But that's the part of what we're doing as we come here. It's without the spirit of God living in us through the death, the resurrection of Christ, we would be without hope. But we're not. We are specifically called, chosen, placed as God's ministers in his field. I don't know if you remember, in his field, in his vineyard, it's white unto harvest, the song we sang just before the message. That's what it's all about that we have.